<laughs> well, let's get out of that hokey little song there and let's get into what biblical love really is all about. And before we jump in, I just want to wish LifePoint Church happy Valentine's Day, okay? I want you to know from my heart to your heart, and especially the ladies, I love you, okay? Last week, we started a series called Love Is, and in essence, Doug's message was wrapped around this thought that biblical love is selfless. And I happen to agree with that. And the greatest picture of it is Jesus on the cross. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at how biblical love is assuring. Now, you know the story of Jesus on the cross. You know that he is led to Golgotha and he is dying between two criminals, one who rejects him and one who accepts him. One of them turns against him and blasphemes him. The other one is saved in the last minute. That salvation is the most famous last minute salvation in all of history. And Jesus turns to him and says to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Saved in the last minute gets our attention, doesn't it? A lot of times we may read or hear something on the news about a con congressional appropriations bill that got saved in the last minute and it kind of picks up our, it, it gets our ears. Or we hear about some person captured by Somalia pirates and yet they are saved in the last minute. Or there is this death row inmate who's just a few hours away and the judge stays his ex execution and he is saved in the last minute. This criminal is hanging on the cross with Jesus and he is saved in the last minute. And out of an act of selfless love, and I say selfless on Jesus's part because picture this in your mind, Jesus's lifeblood is being drained from him. He could have saved it. He could have saved it for just a few more minutes of life, but rather out of a senseless or out of a selfless act of love, he assures this criminal of his salvation. This story of Jesus and this criminal is a very important story because it helps us to understand what we need to do in order to be saved. It helps us to understand the when and the where that you can be saved, how you can be saved. And I want you to listen to this message today about love is assuring. I want you to listen to this message as if your life depended on it, because the reality is, it does. I'm going to seek to explain as best as I possibly can what it means to be saved and how you can know that you are heaven bound. I find that a lot of people who go to church oftentimes don't know that. I ask them, hey, are you heaven bound? And, and people look at me like deer in headlights, like, well, I hope so. What do you mean you hope? Well, I think it's a good possibility. I think the, the, uh, the chances are in my favor. You see, I don't want you to, to have any doubts. When you leave here today after listening to this message, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, you would be heaven bound. In this story, Jesus and this criminal, in this story of Jesus and this criminal, there are five things that you have to know in order to be saved. 
Folks, there are a lot of things that you and I can know about Jesus, but there are some things that you must know. And there are five in this story. Let's read it. Luke 23, 39 through 43. And one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus hurled insults at him. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, from that little story there, what are the five things that you and I need to know? Understand this about this criminal. He was a lowlife, no doubt about it. He didn't know a whole lot, but he knew enough. So what did he know? First of all, he knew this, and you need to know it too, that I must, I must know that I will face God when I die. Folks, this criminal knew that. The other criminal, the crowd, the soldiers were insulting Jesus. And yet this criminal rebukes him and them. The word rebuke is ep epitamayo. Epitamayo. It's a strong word. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? In essence, this criminal is telling the other people and this other criminal, do you realize the serious situation that you're in, man? You may have been running from Rome and Rome has finally caught up with you. You've been running from God and guess what? You're about ready to meet God face to face. Truly the reason that most people do not fear God and live unholy lives is because they think when death comes, it's the end. It's not. Death is the beginning of eternity, future, where you and I will be in one of two places. Death is not the end. One day you're gonna face God and have to give an account for your life. Hebrews 9, 27, notice this. Everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. You see, that's one appointment that you and I will not be able to cancel, okay? The last time I looked, the mortality rate amongst humans was 100%, okay? No one gets to skip death. And this criminal knew it. And he knew that he was going to have to face God and give an account for his life. The second thing that this criminal knew that you need to know is this. I must know that I have sinned against God. The criminal in verse 41 says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. Will you circle the word deserve and we will come back to that. What's going on here is what we would commonly refer to as a confession. This criminal is admitting that he has sinned. He says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. The Bible has a lot to talk about in regards to confession. One of my favorite verses is in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess in the Greek is homo legeo. It means same, to speak the same. It means to agree with God. God, you're right and I'm wrong. God, the anger, the, the pride, the cheating, the gossip, the lying, the unfaithfulness, the ungratitude, the lack of love towards others. God, I'm wrong and you're right. Now we don't know what this, this criminal did and it really doesn't matter. 
Because in in James 2.10, James tells us that if you commit one sin, it's as if you were guilty of all of them. In essence, if you commit one sin, you become a sinner. How many laws do you have to break in order to be a lawbreaker? Just one, right? How many times do you have to be unfaithful to be called an unfaithful person? Just one, right? How many times do you have to sin to be called a sinner? Just one. You see, folks, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? You may have just sinned once or you may have sinned 101 times. We're all in the same boat. I'm convinced of this personally, that, that you've committed a whole lot less sins than I have. I'm a pastor, okay? But if you break one law, it makes you a lawbreaker. If you commit one crime, it makes you a criminal. If you do one sin, it makes you a sinner. Now, God doesn't grade on the scale of zero to 100, okay? But let's just say he did. And let's say that zero is absolute evil, Satan himself. And 100 is absolute perfection, God himself. As we would look at people in history. My guess is if we found Hitler, we would give him a one. He wasn't Satan himself, but he was evil incarnate. We might take a look at at, um, Mother Teresa, and we'd give her a 90. She wasn't perfect, and she would admit that she wasn't perfect, but boy, she was awfully good. I'm not going to let you rate me. I'll rate myself. I give myself a 15. I try hard, but I trip over my shoelaces a lot, okay? Let me rate you. I'd give you 45 because I know that you are three times better than myself. But here's the problem. Heaven is a perfect place because it's where God lives and God's rules. I'm imperfect. There is not a snowball's chance in hell that I can become perfect and make it to heaven on my own. God knew that, and so he came up with a plan to make me perfect in his eyes. It's called salvation. You see, this criminal who was hanging next to Jesus understood that he didn't deserve heaven, that he deserved to die. Take a look at Romans 6, verse 23 here. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you circle two words, wages and gift? You see, what are wages? It's what you deserve, isn't it? You go to work, and after you've put in 40 hours, your boss comes with your check, and he says this to you. Hey, I just want to give you this gift. And you look at him, and you think, it's not a gift. I earned that paycheck. I deserve that check. You see, this criminal knew that he deserved death. There are three types of death in the Bible. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. This guy knew that he deserved death. Well, then what, if if wages are what we deserve, then what, what what does that make a gift? Something that you don't deserve. Something that you can't work for. 
You see, heaven is a place I don't deserve. It is a place I can't work for. It is a gift of God. And this criminal knew that he was going to face God. He also knew that he deserved death, that he had sinned before God. The third thing that this guy knew that you and I need to know is this. I must know that Jesus was more than a man. Now remember, this criminal isn't very educated, but folks, he knows the important stuff. And in verse 41, he says this, but this man has not done anything wrong. Will you circle the word anything? And notice that he doesn't say this man isn't as bad as we are. No, he says this man has not done anything. That word anything in the Greek is odious. It means zero. It means zilch. It means nada. It means nothing. He has done, he, he, he has never done anything wrong. Has anybody ever said that about you or me? You see, you can't say that about people of the human race because we, we have frailties and weaknesses. We make mistakes. We have flops, failures, and fumbles. And so when this guy says He's never done anything wrong. Zilch, nada. He is saying that this man is more than a mere man. Yes, he is human in his flesh, but he is God in his nature. Notice what the preacher of Ecclesiastes says about human beings. Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and never sins. Bingo. All of us have fallen. And so this guy is saying that Jesus is more than a man, that he is God. You see, here's what's going on in this story with Jesus on the cross. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God had Christ who was sinless take our sins so that we might receive God's approval through him. This is what, and you might write beside that verse, this is what we call the great exchange or the plan of salvation. Jesus, in essence, is saying, you know what? I, I have never sinned, but here's what I'm willing to do. I am willing to take your sin on myself. I'm willing to become sin for you and die on the cross because sin must be punished. But in exchange, I will give you my perfection. That is why Jesus is referred to as the Savior of the world. Now, do you know who has saved more human beings in the human race other than Jesus? If you will type that in on Google, the first name that will pop up is Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug died about eight years ago at the age of 95. He was a Texan. All Texans go to heaven. Not really, but, but he was an extraordinary man. He, he, was, he was one out of seven people in history who received the Nobel Peace Prize, the Congressional Medal of Honor, and the President's Medal of Honor. And yet my guess is you've never heard of him before. You see, Norman was an agricultural scientist who invented high-yield, disease-resistant crops that saved over a billion people from starvation in the 20th century. 
The ex-director of the UN Food Bank, World Food Bank, said this, Norman Borlaug has saved more lives than any man in history. His heart was as big as his brilliant mind, but it was his passion and compassion that moved the world. He was truly a great man. He was a real hero. And yet what is so interesting is you read his biography is that he never claimed to be the savior of the world, but he did trust in Jesus when he was a kid. He was a lifelong member of an evangelical uh, Lutheran church in Texas. He was the founding trustee of a Christian compassion organization called Bread for the World. And when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize, he read out of the book of Isaiah. And yet, again, like I state, he never claimed to be the savior of the world. Why? Because he couldn't say, I've never done anything wrong. Norman needed a savior. He couldn't get to 100 on his own. And you can't get to 100 either. You may be at 40, you may be at 60, you may be even at 90. But you can't get to 100 on your own. Somebody has to make up the difference. And I'm sure as you and I look in, in the world, we see some people who are, are more moral, uh, that are, are, are more nicer, that are more better than, than we are. But we're all fallen. The question is, who's going to make up the gap between you and 100? Who's going to make up the gap between 45 and 100? You need a savior. And this guy knew he needed one. This guy knew something else as well. And it's something that you and I need to know. And it's this. I must know only God's grace can save me. In other words, I can never make it on my own. In verse 42, the criminal says this, Jesus, remember me. That phrase, remember me, is Mimnesco, Mimnesco, remember me. You see, what's implied in that Greek word, Mimnesco, or remember me? Well, as you and I would study this little story, we can come away with some things. And the first thing that we would come away with that we know that this guy knew as well is that this guy knew that he couldn't get off that cross, that he was nailed to it, and that's where he was going to die. He knew he couldn't get off that cross and go out and do a lot of charity work. He knew that he couldn't get off that cross and go out and begin to repay all the things that he had done to different people and to God. No, he was in his final hours and his lifeblood as well was draining out of him. And so he has nothing to offer. Zip, not a zilch, not a thing. We know as we look at this story that he, he doesn't say, you know, Jesus, I'm a lot better than that other criminal on the other side of you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't beg or bribe or bargain or barter. He doesn't try to make excuses. He's hanging on the cross with no hope whatsoever. And I might add this, folks, you and I have no hope 
without Jesus. And so what does this guy do? He throws himself on the mercy and grace of God by just saying this, Jesus, will you just remember me? Now, I want you to think about that. This is the shortest salvation prayer in all of history. Two words, remember me. I want you to listen to me. There are some well-meaning Christians who think that you have to use certain theological words in order to be saved, and if you don't, it doesn't count. But this guy here doesn't use any of those words. He doesn't use justification, redemption, propitiation, atonement. He doesn't say, I repent, I believe, I receive, I believe in you. No, all he says is, remember me. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're in, good enough. You see, this picture proves that it's not about words. His, sinner, his sinner's prayer, remember me, may not satisfy theologians, but I guarantee you this, it satisfied Jesus. Here's my point. It's not the words that you say that matter. It is the direction of your heart. And if you have a humble heart and its direction is towards Jesus, Jesus says this, you're in. My wife and I, people have been asking me, George, what are you giving Cheryl for um, Valentine's Day? I says, I'm giving her a trip to the Caribbean. We're going to Haiti together. She's always wanted to go. She's been on one missions trip. She has a heart for Haiti and for all that's going on down there in the way of God's causes, and especially with orphans. And she wanted me to go with her about a year ago. And I said, I can't, I'm tied up. But this year, I said, okay, let's make it happen, okay? In fact, our whole small group is going to Haiti this coming Thursday, and we're gonna be down there for about five days. And so as I'm prepping my heart for this love encounter with my wife in the Caribbean, I'm reading up on stories, missionary stories. And I read one, and this is a true story of a missionary went down in kind of the darkest part of South America to work with the tribe. And he'd been down there six, seven years and no one had come to know Christ. And all of a sudden, one day, Jose gets sick, deathly sick. And he goes to Jose and he says, Jose, do you believe Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you? And Jose looks at this missionary and he says, see, and he falls into a coma and he doesn't wake up. And that missionary leaves thinking, you know what, been down here six, seven years, hasn't worked. He happens to come back to that village 10 years after that, and he finds that there is a church of 65 people, and he asks, how in the world, a church of 65? And the people says, do you remember Jose? Yes, well he recovered, and when he did, he got a Bible, and we are here because of him. Now, I want to ask you this question. How much do you need to know in order to go to heaven? Just enough to say, see. Just enough to say yes to God through Jesus and no to yourself. 
Folks, heaven is God's place where he dwells. It's his house, and he gets to decide how the invitees come in. It's either his way or no way. And this criminal knew that it was only going to be by God's grace that he was going to be able to enter in to God's house. And you must know that it is only by the grace of God that you get there as well. You see, what I am telling you is this. Don't complicate the gospel. Don't start tacking things on to the gospel. There are some well-meaning Christians who add things to the gospel, like baptism. They say, you know, you gotta be baptized or you won't be saved. Was this guy baptized? No. All he said was, see, you see, salvation isn't what you and I do for God. It is what God has done for us. And when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say, I'm finished. No, he said, it's finished. I've accomplished it all from A through Z. It's finished. I did it. Well, so then why do you and I get baptized? To publicly state that we've said, see to Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, can I just encourage you? You don't need to do it for your salvation, but do it as a public statement that you're not embarrassed to the world, to tell the world that you've said, see to Jesus. We're gonna have big baptism on Easter Sunday. You see, what if I had come up to my wife, Cheryl, and said, honey, let's get married, but let's don't tell anybody about that. What kind of commitment would that be? It wouldn't be one. We had a public ceremony. I wear a ring because I'm proud to say, you know what, I love my wife. And you guys, just sucks being you. That's all I gotta say. I got the best one ever. You see, that's why you get baptized. Not to get saved, but rather to say publicly, you know what, I love Jesus Christ. I've said see to him. Take a look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Folks, if you and I could earn our way to, to, to heaven, you wanna know something? Heaven would become hell. It would be so much boasting in heaven. Well, I did this. Well, that's nothing. I mean, I did 10 times that amount. Folks, heaven would become hell. When you and I get to heaven, there's not gonna be any boasting in heaven because we're all gonna get there the same way, and that is through a gift. And what's behind that gift? Grace. Grace is getting something for nothing. It is undeserved favor. It, grace is God giving you something that you haven't worked for, that you can't earn, that you can't barter or bargain or bribe for. It is a free gift. And this criminal knew that. There's one more thing that this criminal knew that you and I need to know, and it's this, that Jesus will save me if I ask. In verse 42, the criminal says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he believes that Jesus is God, that he's not a poser, he's not an imposter, he's not a prophet or a good man, that he is the son of God, the savior of the world. And it's interesting, as you study this story, 
that this guy doesn't ask Jesus to take him off the cross. He doesn't ask Jesus to remove his pain and heal him. There's no doubt that this guy knew that, that Jesus was more than a man, that he had done miracles, that he had raised people from the dead, but he doesn't ask Jesus to do that for him. Why? It's because he recognized that his deeper need was not pain relief, but rather salvation from sin. And this guy had placed his faith in Jesus. You are my savior. In Acts 16, 31, Paul, or Luke, quoting Paul said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Yesterday, I got to go to the hospital. There's a man who's mowed my yard for 10 years, never come to this church, called me up. His family called me up, says, George, Lester is dying, and he's gonna go today. Lester had a respect for my life as I shared my faith with him and talked with him and gave him water and all that kind of stuff, you know, with your yard guy. And so I went up. When I came in, he couldn't talk, but his eyes lit up. When I get invited to go to hospitals where people are dying, I go there with one purpose. And I don't mince words, I go right at it. Because there have been times in my ministry where I was one minute too late. In this case, I was early. And oftentimes I'll ask people this question, what assurance do you have of heaven? And if they are a believer, they will say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I asked Lester. Lester, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And he squeezed my hand and nodded his head. The Bible says you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, how can you be sure that you are heaven bound? Will you write this down? Assurance doesn't come from feelings. Assurance comes from the promises of God. How many of you who are married always felt married? May I see your hands on... on uh, uh, Valentine's Day? Ooh. Hmm. I raised my hand. I, I would say probably for the first year. I'd be sitting on the bed with Cheryl and say, Cheryl, I just don't feel married. She'd look at me and say, well, you are Jackson. Okay. Why do I share that? It's because feelings lie, don't they? So you don't rely on your feelings or emotions for assurance. You rely on the promises of God because God never lies. People oftentimes ask me, Pastor George, can, can, is there something that God can't do? I says, yeah, God can't lie. It, it, God can't lie. It, it violates his character. God is a God of truth. God is a God of honesty. And Jesus says to this criminal, out of an act of selfless love when he could have saved his breath for himself. Says to this criminal, 
I assure you. Love is assuring. Love doesn't want any doubt. Love wants to drive away the doubt and it wants to build up the confidence. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That is a promise of God. And this guy may have not felt like he was heaven bound at that time because of all the pain that he was in, but he was heaven bound because Jesus said it. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, out of God's selfless love for you, you can know four things about your salvation. The first one is this, that salvation is immediate. He says today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. And I want you to listen to me because there's some well-meaning Christians out there that believe in soul sleep, which in essence is if you're a Christian, you die and your soul just goes unconscious and you remain in the grave until the final resurrection. The problem with that is that it's not true and it's not in the Bible. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Second thing that we know out of God's selfless love that's assuring is that salvation is certain. Jesus says, you will. He doesn't say, you might, it's a good possibility, I think you've got a great chance of getting in there. No, he says, you will. Third, salvation is a relationship. He says, you will be with me. Salvation is a relationship. It's not rules, regulations, and rituals. It's not being a fan of Jesus, where you wave at him from a distance. Oh, man, I'm a fan of Jesus. No, you are a follower. You have a relationship with him where you walk together. And then fourth, it is a place forever. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that an awesome story? Isn't that an awesome story about love and how love is assuring? You see, from this simple little story of about four or five verses, we can know five things or five things that you and I need to know. And then four things that we can be absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, assured of. The question that remains, though, is this. When? When can I be saved? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, says this. Today is the day of salvation. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Today is the day of salvation. Remember that there are two criminals on the cross. One of them rejects him, and the other one accepts him. God gives you that choice. But understand this. To not make a choice is to already decide. To not decide is to have decided. In essence, rejecting. Don't do that. And you may sit here and you may think, but Pastor George, you don't realize what I've done. And you're right, I don't. But I take confidence in God's word out of Romans 10 that says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. 
It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've done it or how many times you've done it. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you do that? Because God wants to assure you of his love forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Today, I don't know where you're at with Christ, but you have a choice. You can be like the one criminal and reject him, or you can be like the other one and accept him. Today, if you haven't dropped Christ from your head to your heart, if you've just been a fan of Jesus where you haven't really had a relationship with him, Today can be your day. Will you just say in your heart, see? Will you just say yes? Yes, Jesus. I want to have the assurance that I am heaven bound. And so God, I want to say see to Jesus. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for my sins that I might have your perfection and that I might be with you forever and ever and ever and ever. This morning, it really doesn't matter what words you said, but if you said see to Jesus for the very first time, would you let me know on your connection card? Will you just maybe write your name, your email address, and just write the letter A and circle it, saying, I've accepted Jesus. I've said C to him. And when I get them the first part of the week, I'll mail you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. Well, Lord, we really do thank you today. On this day that in our culture that we celebrate love, that you are the pinnacle of love. Your whole life is a statement of love. And God, in your very last words, when, you, when life was being drained from you, you weren't thinking of yourself. You were thinking of others. You were thinking of us. Because God, you've said that love is assuring. We thank you for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue in our worship by giving back to God.